This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Tim Gossage on SEN. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Over the next hour, we're going to be chatting with a man who, well, fair to say, he is uh, the envy of most coaches in any sport in Australia in particular. He's a five-time NBL Championship winning coach, two-time coach of the year, and of course he's all part of the Perth Wildcats journey, and he is Trevor Gleeson, and he is thanks to Baron today because the little things are everything. Uh, TG, appreciate your time. No worries, Tim. Looking forward to it. <laughs> hey. Hey, mate, um, basketball, because you're not a huge man, but you actually started playing basketball and it was the sport that you played as a kid growing up in, in Warrnambool. How did you venture into coaching? Because you moved there pretty quickly. Yeah, I, look, I, I played and I was okay. I played in a couple of Australian championships. I don't think I would have been good enough to play professionally, but I had an accident when I was 18 um, and I worked at the local abattoirs and a hydraulic door that lifted up, that the animals came in. This day, the door went up and the cable snapped and it came down like a guillotine and I was underneath it. And it got across my uh, lower back, um, squashed me straight down and knocked me out and... Uh, look, I was pretty lucky that I wasn't six feet under. I spent the next two months in hospital out of a compressed fracture of L4, L5, six broken ribs, blood, blood lungs, had some emergency surgeries to, to fix me up. But that was my sporting career was gone. Mm. You know, I played my first AFL game was I was 16 in seniors. And, and I won a couple of tennis tournaments. I was anything with sport, I was... I was pretty pretty good at, but for an 18-year-old to tell them that you're a has-been and you, you can't play sport anymore, it's um, pretty confronting and not even the social aspect of it. So mm-hmm. I really wanted to stay involved, and that's when I started getting into coaching that I couldn't play anymore. Uh, so I'd probably fast-track my career um, that way. Yeah, so so again, what what was the lure... Did you provide the the impetus to be a coach? Did someone see potential in you? Did you go to someone and say, hey, I want to be involved. Oh, why don't you become a coach or have some sort of coaching pathway? I mean, how did that all start? Because, again, you want to stay connected to sport or whatever it may be, but you chose basketball. So who who saw you or did you see it? Yeah, well, I started coaching juniors and just in the representative level and the state level. And then the men's team was – it was already up and running the Warnable Seahawks, but they're trying to get a women's team up. So the president of the basketball association, Bernie Garner came and see me and said, well, would I be interested in coaching the grown girls uh, for the state competition? And I thought, yeah, that's a great opportunity. So I, I went ahead and coached the girls in the state league. Um, and, you know, we were very successful that first year. And then you switched over to the men. I coached the girls for two years and then I switched over to the men the following, I think, 19... Accident happened in 88. I coached the girls in 89, 90 and then coached the boys 91, 92. How difficult or different, not difficult, different is it coaching women as opposed to men? You are, and I use for the want of a better word, you're... 
again, I'm looking for a better word than this, Trevor Gleeson, uh, not demonstrative or aggressive, but you have a real passion with the way you deliver your messaging. And I've only noticed that in the NBL at the elite level. And so it's, a, again, a different level as such. Coaching men and women in all sports, I'm sure there are differences. Uh, how did you go from making that transition out of coaching the women to the men in, in the space of such a short space of time? Yeah, well, obviously it's it's a lot different. It's um, And it's one of the tricks of the trade of coaching is who you're talking to. So, and I learned this a long time, some players that you can't be angry at, because they'll go defensive and they'll go back into their shell where other players that you can be get after and they respond. And that's, that's part of coaching along the way of the communication skills that you learn um, to do that. And, and it's trial and error without a question of trial and error to start off. And, and then later on in my career, I actually paid more attention to it. It's, we came across um, a sports psychologist when I was with the Brisbane Bullets, and I always remember this. And we had an import called Chuck Cornegay, and Chuck was six ten, big, strong, black athlete. And and Brian Curl was the head coach, and Brian was diagram. He said, "You got to do this, got to do that, and you got to be here." And and then the sports psychologist said, "Well, Brian, what are you doing that for?" And he said, "Oh, I'm just explaining what Chuck has to do." He said, "He's not listening." Just you got to simplify things. He said, "Just tell, what do you want him to do?" He said, "I want him to rebound." I said, "Just tell him that." Mm. So, and then it was I was keeping it simple. Too much information would drag him down, and he'd get lost in, with uh, inaction. So that was really big for me. And then I realized, okay, there's some tricks to the trade of coaching here. It's it's not just one rule across the whole planet works. And I've I've been able to do that a number of years of get to know the individual first and then how to communicate with them. Did you find that, um, uh, again, could you coach a women's team now with your style? It's it, it's not a style, so you speak. It's not yet. Yeah, the question is yes. And one of my good friends just went to the WNBA uh, was assistant at the NBA with Orlando and has gone to the Phoenix Mercury to be the head coach for the next five years. It's it's really your communication skills. And what you see, you see the heat of the moment. You see that 10 seconds. What you don't see is all the work that we've built up to have that trust and the communication and the level that, hey, I'm not trying to hurt you, mm-hmm. but we got to get this done now. This is urgent. And some people respond differently. I talk differently to Sean Reddish than I would to Damian Martin and then what I would talk to Bryce Cotton. It's, it's what information that you share and how you share it is the key. You moved to the United States. Uh, Bob Thornton was a bit of a lure over there, of course, uh, to get over there. And you joined his staff at the, at the Quad City Thunder in the CBA. It was over there that you met Dawn, your beautiful wife. And, uh, and of course, now you reside back in, in Western Australia after your Wildcats journey, of course. And uh, where to next, we'll find out a little bit later, I'm sure. But that's a great time for you. That was life-changing, the whole experience of going to the States. Yeah, and it was just a chance, you know, from basketball junkies, that would know this, and and um, may he rest in peace. Just passed last week was Bobby Knight, the famous Bobby Knight, 
Um, I got a job over there, as you mentioned, with Bob Thornton because Bobby Knight got fired. So it went. Bobby Knight's assistant took over as head coach. Now he had a new assistant position, and um, Dan Pinaggio took that. And then Bob Thornton got the job in the CBA where Dan Pinaggio was. And so Bob rang me up and said, Trev, will you be my assistant? And I said, yeah, no worries. And then I said, where the hell is it? And he said, in Quad City. And I said, well, that doesn't help me. Where is it? <laughs> he said, it's a Midwest. But, uh, yeah, we got that in Quad City. And then I finished up going to Sioux Falls um, as the league was going up and down. And then, uh, yeah, that's when I met uh, Dawn. And, um, you know, the rest is history. We've been together almost 20 years now. So I've dragged her around the world and um, she's quite happy and content in Perth. And she tells me I can take her out of here in a box. She doesn't want to leave <laughs> Perth. So that's where home is. Uh, can I just say how important, you know, that support network is? I know you've got two beautiful kids as well. Just talk us about that because it's such a – I know Perth, we see a lot of people come. We've seen Mardo and Jesse and all these people come to WA and never leave and all this sort of stuff. And But um, it must be difficult on the on the other halves. I know, if, and I say this carefully, that you know, the breadwinner, you know, you're the coach, so they follow you, family follows and, and the like, and they go where it's, where it's comfortable. But it must be difficult. You've got to be a very special person to be connected to a basketball coach or a basketball player because it's such a transient sport. Yeah, it, it- it is, and that's the first relationship that I was in coaching in South Korea. So we did the long distance, mm. and then um, you know, really, when I met Dawn, it was okay. Well, this this is long term here. I want to settle down, and it was really do I go back to America, or um, you know, I wanted to raise kids in Australia. I didn't want them to go through metal detectors that you see in all the shootings, and and that was, and then Townsville. Uh, opened up and that's I thought well let, let's get that and and um, you know we got Dawn over and she's quite accomplished with her career she was a uh, or still is director of sales and she overlooked 22 hotels over seven states in America so she had to sacrifice a lot to mm. to move but um, yeah we moved to Townsville and then to Melbourne and yeah I remember coming home in Perth and it was before we even, we even, um, you know, won any championships. And she was really quiet. And I thought, oh no, I've I've got myself in trouble here. What have I done? And and then she just says, I don't care if you're coaching the Perth Wildcats. We're we're staying here in Perth. And when she said that, I said, I better bloody win some games so I don't get fired and I get to stay here for a long time. But yeah, it, it certainly takes a a special uh, person to sacrifice that. And, um, you know, I'm still still in awe that she was able to do that and help my dreams come true. And um, we're pretty established here in Perth now and I don't see us moving too far. An incredibly courageous woman, intelligent woman, and uh, you're certainly punching above your weight. Trevor Gleeson is who we're talking to. <laughs> Thanks to Baron today because the little things are everything. Let's get a breakaway and come back because I want to take you into the NBL journey. You talked about Townsville and then where to get you through Melbourne and Perth and the like. Love this chat. This is with Trevor Gleeson, five-time NBL championship winning coach with the Perth Wildcats on Inspiring Stories. Back with more of TG. Thanks to Baron O'Day. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Tim Gossage on SEM.
Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Trevor Gleeson, our guest. Thanks to Bower and O'Day because the little things are everything. You've got yourself to Townsville. Um... Who would have thunk it? Hey, the Townsville Crocs, uh, you get your head coach position. Um, what was it like walking in first time? And tell us a bit about the setup of Townsville. We know the setup of the big franchises, Perth and Sydney and United and the like. Tell us a bit about Townsville. Yeah, I was pretty impressed with Townsville. They had their own facility. They've gone through 69, I think, sellouts in a row. And they uh, were very financially stable. Um, had their own court, weight room and offices, which is which is a godsend that you can use the court anytime you wanted and, and didn't have to be off at a certain time. So it was really to put a footprint in there. Now I can put my philosophy all into to work and build a program up. And um, I, look, we was there for five years. David Carmichael did a, a great job there and uh, the fans, it was passionate, it was um, it was the place to be at the game and um, yeah, I've got a rich, rich memory and history in Townsville and something I love very much. What about the best three players that you coached in Townsville? Who are the best three, Ralph, if you could, if you could pluck three and you don't pick between your kids, well, but yeah, just tell us. Yeah, well, I guess everyone knows Corey Homicide Williams. We brought Corey <laughs> over here. So he was an MVP. And Roselle Ellis was yes. his favorite, one of my favorite imports. Just a great human being and tough, tough as nails. We had, um, you know, Brad Newley was there my first year and he finished up getting drafted uh, to the NBA and then played in Europe for, for 10 odd years. So, yeah, there's some uh, rich players that we had at the, um, at the Crocs. So, like, we were under budget. We couldn't afford to play with the big boys. And about that then, it was the Brisbane Bullets were big and Melbourne Tigers. and um, So we we punched over our weight a number of years with a limited budget. Uh, we made the finals five years, semi-finals the last three years. Uh, and, you know, had that famous victory over here in Perth with Corey taking his top off and running around the, uh, the arena and... Uh, cut excitement, but uh, yeah, it was a special time without a question. Tell us a bit about Corey. We we know Corey, the media man, and we and we're thinking of him at this time. But at the same time, is what was he like uh, to control as a player? Did you just let him run off? Was he a good team man? Did we what we see with the flair and the 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 Mister T hairstyle and the comments and the bling and all that sort of stuff? Was there a different Corey, or was that uh, was that what Corey was? That's Corey. He arrives five minutes before he actually turns up. It's uh, <laughs> like the first game. I think the first he couldn't play because waiting for an international clearance. And he came to the game and everything in white, like all in cricket whites. I said, "What the bloody hell?" And then the next day he had a mohawk. And oh my god, what have I got into here? But Corey would talk up a lot, and a lot of people do talk up. But one thing that he could do, he back it up. He would absolutely back it up. He compete. He played tough. Yeah, um, you know, he had a, a special skill set. He was unbelievable in the fast breaks and in the open court. Struggled a little bit from shooting on the perimeter, um, but he was what you see is what you get. And he would talk it. He would get the crowd involved. He invented Croc Nation. Uh, but one thing that he always played with his heart 
and it's pretty easy to get along with people when they play with their heart. Yeah, he's uh, and he's taken that into his wonderful media career. He's a wonderful ambassador for the sport. How did you end up and why did you end up leaving Townsville and you're headed to Melbourne? Yeah, well, that was that was a little bit of family. Dawn, we had two kids under two. Dawn just finished um, breastfeeding Shay. It was six months and then she found a lump in her breast um, and then we had some tests and it came back that she had breast cancer. Um, and look, and Dawn's obviously from America and I'm from Victoria, born and bred in, in Warrnambool. And we just had didn't have any support staff and we just felt with two kids, Dawn going through treatment with breast cancer, we needed to be back close to home uh, where my mother and, and sister and family uh, can help us and obviously we did the travel for a lot but um, that was a, a big reason why we left Townsville when we did is to be close to home and I think I, I said at the MVP night uh, finishing up at there at Townsville I said I love the Crocs but I love my wife and family more and I'm making this decision to do that and and it just so happened Melbourne Tigers were open so um First and foremost is to move back home, to be close to family uh, while Dawn went through the treatment. And then the second part was, was Melbourne Tigers opening up. Describe your time at the Melbourne Tigers. It wasn't You weren't there as long as you were hoping, I'm sure. No, I thought I'd really thought that I'd be locked in for a long time. And we, we started off, Seamus McPeak owned the team, and we started off great. We recruited a guy called Paddy Mills. There was an NBA lockout. So we had Paddy there and we recruited really well. And then the lockout finished. Well, sorry, Paddy got a job, a big, big offer to go to China. And it was kind of life-changing money at the moment that time because mm-hmm. he was, wasn't was with the Spurs yet. He was with Portland. And um, so Seamus, uh, we released Paddy and then things kind of gone south and Seamus, wanted to sell the team and so he sold the team halfway through the year and we had new owners and uh, at that part the wheels had started to fall off Seamus had sacked an import while I was in the media room in post-conference and so we played with four games I think with only one import and um, yeah it was really tough and I think that's the only year I've never made the playoffs and there was a lot of external factors and the new owner came in and um, you know, and Turmoil kept on going and he said, I want to bring in another coach. And um, so that was unfortunate. And um, But that's a part of the business. You talk of Larry Kesselman, I'm assuming, right there. And now we know where he's standing is in the NBL. Um, are you sort of bitter about that experience, Melbourne Tigers? I would have liked to be there, yeah. It was how it finished. It wasn't great. It wasn't, it wasn't clean. I think it should be. It got really messy. Um, but listen, if, if that didn't happen, I would never have got the opportunity, um, you know, to, to come over to Perth. I could have been there in Melbourne for a while and Perth didn't happen. So one thing about life, and I learned that having an accident when you're 18, that something bad can open up new doors for you. And um, certainly going through that experience was painful, especially with, two kids under two and your wife going through breast cancer and you haven't got a job, um, that was tough, but it also opened up the door for the opportunity to happen in 
in Perth. You talk about that, and and we saw, and we're we're doing this uh, podcast in the same week that John really was uh, quoted in a podcast where he spoke about his time in the abattoirs up in Toowoomba. He talked about, hey, what I am experienced now through tough times, and everyone looking for my head and stuff like that. He said, oh, you've. That doesn't faze me because of the upbringing and the toughness that he had and the moments that he's had and he was about wanting just to get to the States and pay for his own way to go to the States. So it's interesting because the abattoirs have certainly steered directions of of two coaches synonymous to to, you for your success in Perth and and at the moment for John trying to find his way as the coach of the Perth Wildcats. So the abattoirs and I think the Perth Wildcats have got a, a, a wonderful connection. Yeah, look, I, I don't know with, with John's history with that, but certainly from my perspective, it was, um, you know, a good experience. It was a lot of money for a young kid mm. getting back then and, and got me into the workforce, but it wasn't something I was ever going to stay there. It was <laughs> it was a, a quick couple of months job, but unfortunately I had the accident and that uh, changed the course of my life and it probably changed it for the better. Absolutely. All righty. Just before you got out of Melbourne, though, you were involved with two AFL clubs, uh, I think Mm. North Melbourne and Hawthorne. As a skills coach, well, hello. What skills were you teaching the uh, two AFL clubs, Trevor? It was funny because we lived, sorry, we worked in the same building as North Melbourne Kangaroos. And when I got fired, I had my box and all the personal stuff from the office and I was walking down the stairs and, uh, Brad Scott was walking up and he said, what are you doing? I said, mate, I just got fired. He said, well, he couldn't believe it. And then about, I went back home and then about two weeks later, the phone rang and it was Brad. He said, hey, listen, Trev, you want to come in and be a fly on the wall? Come into our meetings, come into their coaches meetings, sit in the uh, coaches box during the game. And just if you can see something that we can do better, uh, let us know. And, and straight away that I seen in training, they were doing a lot of, football skill drills and I will it does you're not teaching you're not putting any pressure on them it's decision making with the ball so I came up with a, a set of drills for the ball handling um, and the players loved it so we, we started to put more emphasis on hitting targets hand-eye coordination speed so I kind of experimented a little bit and and also sitting in with the, the coaches' meeting. So that was really good for North Melbourne. Um, and I had some downtime. So the next year, I went to Hawthorne. I knew Chris Fagan. And Fag said, come in and, and um, you know, we'll have a look at you for, for a couple of sessions. And it was only really going to be one or two sessions. And then it finished up being one or two sessions a week. So, uh, yeah, it would have Buddy in there and Hodge and... Um, you know, Ruffy, and and it was a really good set of guys, and I really enjoyed my time at Hawthorne as well. Did you take some basketball skill sets and mindsets into football, and then when you were leaving footy to go back in and return to NBL coaching, of which it was here in Perth with the Perth Wildcats, did you take anything out of footy into basketball? Yeah, without a question. It was a great time for me because I was, again, a fly on the wall. I could see Clarko, how he operated, you know, and – Chris Fagan was doing all the organisation. Clarko was spending more time one-on-one with the players. Oh, that's interesting. And then Simo was there, an assistant coach. And and then, um, you know, there was about five different assistant coaches then gone on to be head coaches. So to be in that environment, see how they interacted with the players, how they had meetings, how they, you know, used some uh, humour 
in it. So, well, I, I kind of relaxed a little bit because there was no pressure on me. You know, it, it, when you're a professional coach, there's pressure on you for the win because if you don't win, you get fired. Um, so it was good for me to be able to sit there and relax and see how this is. I said, okay, I like that. I'm going to take this idea with me um, when I get the next opportunity. And I didn't know it had come so fast from Perth. Well, it did, and we're going to take a break and come back, and we're going to get into this Wildcats journey because it was quite remarkable, and uh, five championships, some great players, some amazing moments, and uh, uh, such a big part of the Wildcats history is our guest, Trevor Gleeson. Inspiring sports stories, thanks to Baron a day because the little things are everything. Trevor Gleeson and his Cats time next. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Tim Gossage on SEN. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Trevor Gleeson, our guest, and that's just one of the championship wins. Five championships as coach of the Perth Wildcats. How did you get to Perth? Who was the first conversation you had about coaching the Perth Wildcats? Yeah, I got a call from uh, Nick Marvin, and it was funny because I just, Got off the phone from Adelaide 36ers. They're also looking for the job. So it kind of worked really quick. And I planned to go on America on the Saturday. So this is on the Wednesday night. I was leaving to take Dawn back to see her family and the kids. And obviously this is a year after um, a breast cancer treatment. So that was big. And then... Nick Marvin rang up and I know they were having disputes and uh, with uh, Rob Beveridge. And I'm, then I rang Rob Beveridge after. He said, hey, listen, if you don't take the job in Perth, uh, I'll put my hand up. But if you are staying in Perth, I'll say no and keep moving. And he said, well, I might go overseas. But if you do a go overseas, I want to be looked at, you know. So, um, so I flew over on the Friday morning. So the phone call Wednesday night. Friday morning for an interview, had an interview with the board, uh, with Jack and, and Nick and the rest of the board, then flew back to Melbourne on Friday night, then flew out to America on the Saturday. So I thought the interview went pretty well. Then I didn't hear nothing for about three, four weeks. So I thought, oh, well, it's nothing's going to happen. It's, you know, what's next on the corner um, for my life? And then all of a sudden I got a call saying, hey, listen, we're interested and we want you to be the coach of the Perth Wildcats. And um, I said, well, all right, let's bring it on. Let's do this. Started quickly too. Eight no, I think you started. You're thinking, how good is this? The crowd loved you? Well, not at the start. <laughs> um, it was the, the, is that tough? probably the most that talented team we had yeah. in the Wildcats. It's, we had, uh, I had some contacts in America and we were able to recruit James Innes um, you know, Miami were really placing him away to bring him back next year. And I remember Jermaine Beal playing against us uh, in a college tour. So, yeah, we were able to get those two. And obviously it was a great nucleus here in Perth with, with Damo and Sean and Greg and Jesse and Matty Knight. You know, it was, it was uh, unbelievable. And, um, you know, the resources were great. And so, yeah, there was a lot of pressure that year because we were the best team in the competition. It's all very well to have a great roster, isn't it? I think basketball's one of those sports. You've got a great roster, but you don't have a lot of personnel. So you've got to make sure you 
whether you're, you're their DP development players, you've got to have all the pieces. You've got to have the tall, you've got to have the passer, you've got to have the shooter, you've got to have the defenders. You've just got to get the right mix. Did you know then with a James Ennis and then you have the defensive exploits of, of Mardo and the like and Greg that you actually had the right pieces? And did you think you were going to have James Ennis long or did you think he was always going to be on that NBA trajectory? Yeah, I, I didn't think we'd have him the whole season, to be honest, because James was getting homesick when he was doing tours in America and he was from California. So I was like, how's he going to be in Perth, the most isolated city in the world? And and we had, back then, we had like a month off for Christmas. And I thought, yeah, and he went back home. He asked if he can go back home. I said, yes. And I really was scared that he wasn't going to come back. Uh, I think at that stage, we might have been 12 and 1. Um, but yeah, as soon as that first practice with him, I knew that we were going to go close to winning the, uh, winning the competition. It was it was a new, unique um, group, and we just had to get them to mesh together and sacrifice for the game. And you know, you go down to Adelaide, we play, we win the first one at home, we lose the second one in Adelaide on the road, and then come home for that third game on the Sunday. And James Innes picks up three fouls in the second quarter. And it's a two-point ball game. And so I have to put him on the bench. And then we put our role players in. And Greg Heyer was absolutely enormous in that game. He, he should have gone close to getting the MVP. And that's unheard of for a role player off the bench. And we finished up, you know, beating Adelaide by 34 points at home on the Sunday. And that was just the, the culmination of a team playing for each other, having each other's back, some adversity along the way. And it was one of the proudest moments I've ever had as a coach um, to win the championship, but to win it at home in front of 14,000 fans. It was, and to win it the way we did was, um, you know, still brings a smile and goosebumps to me right now. Uh, let's talk about the second one, that New Zealand uh, championship. I mean, New Zealand to Perth, Perth, New Zealand, back and to and from the country, not many days between breaks. Was that as gruelling as it sounds? That The most gruelling that I've been in cross for the 14, 15 years I was in the NBL. It's We played at home Wednesday. We had to fly Thursday to New Zealand, play Friday night in New Zealand and turn around and fly back on the Saturday and play Sunday morning. I think the game was like at 10 a.m. because it was a um, live across to the East Coast. And that that was just unbelievable um, scheduling. I don't think it'll ever happen again. And just the, the flights that you have to do for eight hours, it was direct. But the wear and tear on the body, the physicality of the series that was, and then to play that third game and, again... That was Damian Martin was was unbelievable, and that they couldn't even bring the ball across the floor. He he was he was in their face. He was everywhere. I think Damo won the MVP, and um, it just his will and pride, um, just to win, the will to win was, was unbelievable, and uh, he led from the front and, and richly deserved the MVP of the final series. Trevor, Trevor Gleeson, our guest in Inspiring Sports Stories, thanks to Baron O'Day, because the little things are everything. I'd love to know, not just the New Zealand trips, but when you're coaching 
and you know you're all tired and you're battered and you know you've got an eight-hour flight and we know about our AFL teams who say we go every second week across the country and the Collingwoods and Richmonds and all that don't have to travel hardly at all. Just how difficult is it to do, one, to maintain focus about travelling and not making it a big thing that it's just part and parcel of living in Perth? And two, did it take its toll on your playing group, do you reckon? Do you reckon there's some players inside the league that could have played a whole lot more basketball had they not had to endure the travel? Yeah, it's a built-in excuse, especially in Perth, because every weekend or every second weekend you're flying. Um, Yeah, we we do a lot of... So when I first got here, I said, we're not using that as an excuse. It's it's just the way it is. Okay, it's like you're planting seeds out in the farm and you throw the seeds down the but some of the birds are going to take the seeds away it's just what it is and so we never felt like we were harshly treated and then it was more to use it as an advantage so now we can get in the group and i'm pretty i'm pretty strong on the team being together and these times of travel gives you a team a chance to be together so you're waiting for the flight and it's delayed you've got to be at the airport for an hour so what do you do do you separate and 10 different 15 different people go in different directions or do you sit down and have a laugh and tell some stories and that's what what happened at the wildcats we were able to use that chemistry off the court through the travel uh to build a stronger unit and build our trust and build our relationships and go and have coffees and and it worked in to be one of the best things. The guys that all get together, I didn't have to say, they would just automatically get together. Um, people knew each other's coffees and they would buy, you know, sharing things. And it, the unity and the chemistry was built during those those trips. And it's uh, something that we had at our advantage that other teams didn't have. We're going to take a break and come back. I want to talk about Bryce Cotton, his arrival, how he got there, where you're at at that time. You went on to win the championship. We talk about that, of course, in 2016, 2017. And also, you moved to the States. And where to now? What does basketball hold for our guest, Trevor Gleeson? Thanks to Bow No Day. This is Inspiring Sports Stories. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Tim Gossage on SEN. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Trevor Gleeson, our guest. Trevor, in 2016-2017, you re-signed with the Wildcats on a three-year deal. You started okay. Then you got injuries and started things started to take its toll on the chemistry and the way that the team was going. You made a big call. Uh, you signed a guy by the name of Bryce Cotton. That seems to have gone well. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing Bryce in um, the Summer League might have been the year before, and I thought then, wouldn't he be a great player for the NBL? He could shoot, he can handle the ball, he can create his own shot, but it, that's as far as it went. And then we, his name came across the desk because he was in Turkey, and um, there was a bomb that went off around the corner, so he said, I'm getting back to the States. So he just happened to be in Australia, and I think he was going to come for six weeks. We were last on the ladder, said, come out here and, and help us. And, um, you know, and he had a great end of the year. But I'll tell you one thing, Tim, that just before the finals, I woke up one morning and the phone, you know how you pick your phone up 
and there's about 20 messages. Mm. I said, oh, no, what's happened here? Mm, someone's like locked up or someone's got arrested or <laughs> someone's. And then I look at the and it's Bryce's agent. Bryce has been offered a contract with the Atlanta Hawks, a 10-day contract. And I said, oh, no, we're going to lose Bryce. You know, we're not going to make the finals. I can't replace him now because it's too late. And then I tried to ring him. I can't get a hold of him. And I thought, okay, he's probably making plans. And so this is 7 o'clock in the morning. I go to work and and then I go and then, then Bryce rocks up. I said, Bryce, mate, congratulations. I'm so happy for you, you know, Atlanta Hawks. And, and he looks at him and said, Trev, I'm not going. I said, why not? He said, I want to stay here and win a championship with you guys. I said, are you kidding me? You want to pass up that to stay here and win a champ. He said, yeah, I haven't won a championship before and I want to do it. And listen, and he said, I'll only be sitting on the bench and it was a 10 day contract. And so he stayed and I, I brought the team together and I said, you're not going to believe this, but this man right here has done the most unselfish thing I've ever seen in professional sports. He gave up this opportunity to stay here with you. And we weren't even in the playoffs. Then. We were out of the finals. Um, and then he said he's doing that to win a championship with you guys. And after that, it was full steam ahead. And we made the championship uh, finals and we went on to win that championship. So was that moment more significant for the moment in the psyche and then the Bryce Cotton ability on court? Do you think that was a spur for you, Bryce, and the team? Without a question. It was he. he's unselfishness and sacrifice to stay here. And there's no guarantee that we're going to make the finals or make the winner championship, but he's here willing to sacrifice that for you as a teammate. And as a coach, I did everything I possibly could to make sure we had the best opportunity to go ahead and win the championship. And he was only going to be here for six weeks. Now, we get, you won five championships, of course, uh, in the NBL. And I'm going to, and while I'm going to ask you a couple more questions, I need you, and I know you're a clever man who can do more than one thing uh, at a time. I need <laughs> you to come up with your all-star Wildcats five, championship five. Mm. I'm sure you've probably had it in the back of your mind. And you can have a six-man as well. If you want to throw, oh, hello, he's gone to the book. He's already written it down. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna write <laughs> you can go to your six-man as well if you so desire. Um Five championships. You didn't win the last one, of course. We know all about that. And COVID came in and, and the like. Could you could you script it any better with the success that you had and, and the, the 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 more than one chapter, Trevor? You're more than one chapter in the Wildcats' history, and it's not just a a sporting team. It's arguably the most successful sporting team in the world. It's got huge command in the in the sporting space and the market in, a, in an AFL dominated country and state. Um, could you believe the journey that has been the Perth Wildcats and also the little twist, the pink game of which Dawn's mm. battle with breast cancer and that was inserted in and is now part of the staple of the Perth Wildcats. There's so much has happened for you on and off the court. Yeah, no, I couldn't have scripted it. You know, from the from the time there, I was just trying to build something and, you know, we got lucky in the first year we win a championship and then I probably didn't coach well the next year because I kept on comparing it to the last year. And, and I said, I have to let that go. We won a championship. Now we have to strive. And I was mindful when we won the next one that I wasn't going to look back. It was always the challenge to win the next one and, and what uh, can be accomplished. And um, 
you know, it was just a remarkable journey, but also was with some remarkable people along the way that brought in to what the vision was and and to play unselfish and to put the team first and, you know, put your effort on the court and if it's not good enough, so be it. And then, you know, the you mentioned the pink. It's the idea that Dawn and I had, you know, at dinner one night with a glass of wine, how can we put back in? Because Jack Bendat was putting so much back into WA. Um, and it was, well, can we use this as a platform to raise awareness and to help people, um, you know, to, to come out and get tested and then also raise funds. And so I went to Jack and the board and asked, and they said, well, that's a great idea. Let's just do a one-off uh, for you and see how it is, the support. And just the support was overwhelming that uh, people stopping in the supermarkets. The, you couldn't walk down the street without someone, you know, saying, How's Dawn? How's it doing? This is so good for the community and, and it's something we love doing. And it's, um, you know, I get choked up a little bit now looking at, at how it's grown and how it's blossomed. And, um, you know, it's really, really just to give back to the WA community. Now it's for someone to take it on and, and keep running with it because it's a great cause and and it's a great platform to do that. And still is very much a part of the calendar of the Perth Wildcats and it's been taken on by the current ownership as well. But I, I will say this in regards to it. Is it remarkable that I don't think there's a team in any sport that builds their brand around their colour? And we talk of the Wildcats being the Red Army. So for to do that... It takes a lot. It takes a lot, and the and the and the buy-in from owners, players, fans, media, and the like—it's huge. It is quite remarkable that you and Dawn launched it, and the benefits, of course. Uh, well, you can't you, you can't put a dollar value on it. No, and that's when I first got here. I tried to wear a different colour on the sideline. I, was, I remember saying to Nick Marvin, Nick, the players are wearing red. I can't be on red on the sideline because they'll pass the ball to me. And he said, if they pass the ball to you, I'll buy your bottle of red wine. And I said, okay. And I can honestly say it never happened in the eight years. And it was the red was our brand. That was it. And yeah, to change it for the pink that game and now the shoelaces of the shoes and the basketball and the net was there. It's, uh, you know, it's a special place. And hopefully it keeps going for many years to come. All righty. Give us your five. Give us your, st- give us your Wildcats championship winning five and your six man. Okay, well, I would take Damo as number one. Damo was the best player that I've coached, without a question. Um, and if I have just his work ethic, Bryce is there, James Innes. I'm going to take a big fella, Matty Knight. He was uh, probably one of the best defenders. If Damian Martin hadn't been so good, he would have won about four or five defensive player of the year. Um I would say Sean Redditch, even though I coached Sean at the latest stages of his career, just his professionalism was absolutely remarkable. And um, so that's what's that five? That's five. Six and men. look, and the best, well, I have to have seven because I'm putting Greg Hire and Jesse Wagstaff um, as a combination. It's just. Absolutely 100% Wildcat people and bleed for the red jersey and will do anything at all for the Wildcats brand. And, um, 
Yeah, they're joined in the hip, those two. They certainly are. There's a remarkable seven players, and and, and, and no disrespect to all uh, many others that you coached in that time, Trevor. Uh, just in a quick one, did you have the scratch to itch to get back into the States and be involved at the elite level in the NBA? And is that where the Toronto Raptors sort of move came? And uh, was it a tough call to walk away from the Cats? Yeah, look, it came down, and I talked to my wife about this, is that I can't really put my head on the pillow of the last day I live and I say that I said no to the NBA. So I wanted to say, okay, I've won the NBA. I scratched that itch. You know, I've done that for the last two years. And now you're back in WA. Do you have any aspirations to coach in the NBL again? I will finish coaching my career in the NBL. Whether that'll be next year or in three years' time, I don't know. I'm just going to enjoy spending time with my family. And if an opportunity comes down the track, I'll uh, look at all the opportunities. All right. So uh, the boy from Warrnambool, the boy whose sporting career ended courtesy of a, a, an industrial accident, is now a five-time winning NBL coach. You're involved in the media. You're still on – I think you're still on the payroll of Toronto Raptors. I don't exactly know how <laughs> that works out. Life is good, Trev. Life is good. Uh, it's unbelievable. It's um, And two healthy kids – Beautiful wife, so I'm a, I'm a blessed man. You certainly are. Who's going to win the championship? We're doing this uh, in the, the second week of November. If you were to put down your two best teams in the NBL right now, who wins the title from here? I would say Melbourne United will beat Tasmanian Jack Jumpers. You're a big fan of Tassie. There's so many. Is that a Scott Roth thing? Of course, you had a nice little connection with Scott briefly. Yeah, look, I just think he's an excellent coach. I love how they played. They've probably had a couple opportunities they missed. But if you do that across the board, you're going to have a chance to win some big games, and I think they can. All righty. And uh, give us a, a Trevor Gleeson snapshot of where the Perth Wildcats are at. They're still growing. They've got a whole new team, and they've got to have some room to make mistakes. Um, and that's part of growing. And I think that last weekend was a huge win for them in Melbourne. And this is something that really could move them in the right direction and run off four or five games to get back into the top four. Last one before we let you go, Trevor Gleeson. Thanks to Bauer and O'Day. Who is the best player ever to play in the NBL? You don't have to have coached him. Well, it's Andrew Gaze. It's, um, I remember I was assistant at Brisbane Bullets. We kept Andrew, was averaging 40 at the time. We kept him to 24 points. Okay. There was only one problem with that. The game went in the overtime. He dropped five three-pointers. Okay. Finished with 41, then the next day he jumped on a plane to go across to um, San Diego Spurs, not San Antonio Spurs. He was unbelievable. He was the best player that I've seen um, in the NBL. Well, you are unbelievable, and your uh, career coaching record speaks volumes for that, mate, and what you've done for basketball in this country and also in particular in Perth with five championships as well. You're a, le- a resident of Western Australia, uh, even though you, of course, uh, have that Victorian blood through Warrnambool with you, and whatever mm. the journey takes you on, uh, TJ, we appreciate your time, and you are an inspiring story, and we appreciate the last hour you've spent with us. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. you. There's Trevor Gleeson, inspiring sports stories. Thanks to Baron O'Day, because the little things... Are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Tim Gossage on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.